This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, I'm Matt Jolly. This is Politics Without the Boring Bits. And a big episode for you today. The first PMQs Unpacked of 2024. If you haven't heard it before, we do PMQs a bit differently to everyone else. Instead of just leaving you to wade through it and work out what is going on. Tim Shipman for the Sunday Times joins me. We pause the action live from the Commons and analyse the key exchanges in real time. Then Lava Spirit rounds up the best of the rest. The PMQ's Unpat is coming up. We'll also hear from the columnists. It's Wednesday, so it must be Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on why no one is talking about the fact that COVID is back and should we give up eating bread? And if you like what you hear here on the podcast, don't forget you can listen to me live on Times Radio with Politics Without the Boring Bits for free on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker or download the Times Radio app. That's Politics Without the Boring Bits on Times Radio weekdays from 10. Yeah, oh... They're talking teeth. We're talking teeth. First, it was the Tory MP, Selene Saxby. Whilst I recognise money does not grow on trees, neither do teeth. Yeah, teeth don't grow on trees. That was Selene before Christmas. Then yesterday, MPs spent the afternoon debating the nation's gnashers, leading to this treat from the health minister, Andrea Leadsom. In the opposition's proposal today, they're talking about supervised toothbrushing for three to five-year-olds. Now, I don't know if they don't know this, but actually you have teeth from before you're born. So if you don't get your supervised toothbrushing until you're three, at a minimum, that's about, your teeth are about four and a half years old. Sorry, what? So if you don't get your supervised toothbrushing until you're three, at a minimum, that's about, your teeth are about four and a half years old. So, so when you're born, your teeth are 18 months old. So if you don't get your supervised toothbrushing until you're three, at a minimum, that's about, your teeth are about four and a half years old. No, it's no wonder you need to look after them. They're already 18 months old by the time you're born. If only you could get a dentist appointment. But here's Labour MP, Ashley Dalton. It's easier to get your hands on Taylor Swift tickets in 2024 <laughs> than it is to get an NHS Dental appointments. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because uh, producer Lewis on the show has got all the dentist appointments. Every week, every week, to old teeth. But luckily, it's easier to get, uh, it's even easier, never mind Taylor Swift, it's easier to get tickets to my stand up show. Uh, pole dance, that's coming to a theatre near you. Bristol, Swindon, Salford, Maidenhead, Hemel Hempstead, Birmingham, Chorley, Exeter, Cambridge, Farnham, Taunton, London, and Lyme Regis. MattChorley.com. 
if you want the details. So much nicer than a trip to the dentist. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. And Alice Thompson's here. Alice, how are you? Good morning, I'm very well. Good to see you, good to see you. And Robert Crampton is not here. Where are you, Robert Crampton? Hi, Matt. I'm in the what was the BBC Television Centre, just an interview. And can you tell us who you've been interviewing? Idris Elba. Clark, that's a big name so to chop, boring, isn't it? isn't it? I mean, I should have been here, really. Can't believe yeah, you... Yeah, sorry, but it just, it just it keeps bothering me, you know, and he's just... Yeah, is, I said I'd come and have breakfast with him. Is he well? He's very well, yeah. He had an enormous breakfast. Uh, I had a coffee, and he had a bowl of porridge, some smoked salmon, some avocados, some scrambled egg, and some mushroom. Wow. That is a but big look, But he looks pretty good on it. He does look quite good on it. He does look good. Is he, is he still there now? Do you want to pop him on? No, afraid not. Oh. He's gone. Busy man. He's a busy man. And uh, when will we see this interview? Uh, Saturday. Good. Well, we look forward to that. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, right. Let's turn our attention to what we're supposed to be talking about. Then, have you seen any of the celebrities while you've been at TV Centre? Yeah, I just saw Richard Curtis walk by. There we are. Do you want to pop in them on? Yeah. If you see a celebrity while we're doing this, stick them on the phone. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, right. Uh, let's talk about uh, Rwanda because it's back in the headlines. We thought it was all done in dust before Christmas. Uh, Rishi Sunak came up with his plan to toughen up the law. Uh, that would make it harder for people to launch legal challenges to being put on a plane to Rwanda. Uh, he's tried to tread this line between what is legal, what Rwanda's happy with, what uh, the left of the Tory party is happy with, but also what the right of the Tory party is happy with. The, uh, those on the right are tabling lots of amendments to the bill. Um, earlier I spoke to the Conservative MP, Tom Hunt, who is backing the right, the r- amendments of those on the right to toughen up the bill. Let's take a listen. We, we do have some concerns that, um, you know, that I expressed at second reading about individual claims. Uh, one of, one, one, and, and one of these amendments looks to, um, you know, to restrict um, the extent to which individuals can um, block their deportation to Rwanda. And then the other one is also on Section 39, um, orders from the European Convention of Human Rights. We've seen how they work in the past. We've seen how they've grounded flights uh, previously. Um, so, it, I mean, those are the two broad broad points of what the four amendments are looking to achieve. Um, and, I, you know, and my hope, my ambition is is that this bill works and that we, we see a workable deterrent and we, we stop the boats. I then went on to press him to say, if you know, I mean, his amendments are not going to pass because the Labour Party won't vote for them, the opposition party's not going to vote for them. So if this unamended bill then goes yeah. to the final vote... Will you vote against it? And he didn't want to get into that. He wanted to focus on. So, are we basically, there is no crisis here for Rishi Sunak, is there, Alice? No, I think this is really a proxy leadership um, contest. They can't have a proper one. Uh, the Tories are tearing themselves apart. And it's a sort of right and left. And the only way they can do it is through Rwanda, which is bonkers for the rest of us because no one really cares about the nuances of it. It's a, it's a mad idea anyway. And the fact that Rwanda has sort of haunted them for the last sort of few years it, it, it is insane. And so I think. If, you know, the rest of the country aren't going to be worried about what's happening here, but they are definitely thinking who's going to come next. And this, this could carry on all year because if we don't have a leadership you know, election until after the next election, you know, we're going to have them all fighting you know, until November, December when we have a general election. What, what do you make of this, Robert? Should we stop obsessing with this Rwanda bill? Rishi Sunak's plan is going to pass next week, we assume, unless unless dozens more Tory, I suppose that's the only possibility, if dozens of Tory mm-hmm. MPs suddenly vote, it, you know, start becoming rebels. But the Labour Party is not going to vote for the amendments put forward by the, by the right-wing rebels. Robert? 
I think another celebrity has come along. He's got. Oh, I wonder who he's bumped into. Oh, is that Holly Willoughby? Oh, uh, over there. Yeah, I just, I just think I think you're probably right, Alice. It is a, it is a proxy, but I, I wonder whether, like, collectively, the Westminster Village needs to stop falling into this. Not everything needs to be. In fact, I wrote this as a column before mm. Christmas. Not everything needs to be Brexit. It's not the same. There's not a knife edge vote every night. We don't need. No, to... and actually, I think they're trying to polarize themselves. It's sort of yeah. bizarre that they they need to feel that they've got a cause the whole time. And and I think that's one of the interesting things that actually Danny said in his column was that. Um, Danny Finkelstein today, that about the sense that, you know, actually you, you feel you have to take sides the whole time. Mm. And if there isn't a side to take, with the post office, there wasn't quite such an obvious split. There isn't someone to blame and a side to take very obviously at the time. People don't care in the same way in Westminster, that they, they really want to be part of a group. And this Rwanda has made them part of a group. You're either yeah, for yeah. or against the amendments or... And, and I think it's all very cosy and everyone else is much more worried now about, you know, flooding, cost of living crisis, yeah. all those sort of issues. And they don't care. Uh, Robert, did you just spot a celebrity? Uh, no, I didn't. I just got a big, a bit of uh, hit a bad, patch of bad reception. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm, it's amazing. I'm only about five miles away. <laughs> from yeah, you're in that the uh, the black spot known as Central London. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the other thing, Robert, is it's such a weird thing that the Tory Party think that their electoral prospects will be improved by them having a massive row every week about something new. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's what happens at the end of long periods of government, isn't it? People just complete, they completely lose perspective and they're going to, I don't know what, I, I missed out what, I just caught the end of what Alice was saying, but they're just going to their tribes and they just seem to be determined to go down in flames. And yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they've no, seem to have no conception of the approaching disaster or they don't care if, if, if they, you know, they, if they do have, they just want to be on, in, in with their group. Yeah. It's, it's, it's peculiar. But you know, I mean, like, aside from the, the, the rights and wrongs of the actual Rwanda plan, the fact that, um, you know, everyone says divided parties don't win elections, it'd be much better if they all just pretended they thought this was a good idea, they voted it through, then yeah. it gets snarled up in the courts and then say, oh, it's the courts trying to stop us, we'll have to toughen it up again, or something. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's a terrible idea anyway, and I don't think it will work, because I think that if people aren't deterred by the fact that they might die in the channel, then they're not going to be deterred by the possibility of going on the plane to Rwanda. So I don't think it will work. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a, it's... You're, yeah, like you say, divided parties don't win elections and they seem to be doing everything they can to make the public think that they are divided, which they are. Well, we'll wait and see what uh, what happens a, a bit later. Let's talk about something which actually is, is an issue, uh, but we're, that we're not talking about. COVID is back... Well, in the sense it never went, it never really went away. You've written about it in uh, in your column today, Alice, um, and I hadn't realised quite the extent that in other countries, you know, Spain are telling people to wear masks. Mm. You know, it's all a bit. But in this, nobody wants to talk about it in the UK. I think in some ways it's quite good. We don't want to talk about it. I quite like the fact that we have a kind of mentality of just get on with it. We had two years of lockdown when we were really quite traumatised, most of us, about the idea of being, you know, locked up, of not going to schools, of you know groups of six it was it was such a weird terrible bizarre kind of surreal period that we do want to move on now but the government has got to look at it and they need to look at the figures and you know over christmas covid was going up and it's a new variant we don't know it's called juno most of the ones that people seem to be getting 64 percent to getting that variant i must admit i confess until i read your column i didn't know that no. there's a variant called juno so you don't know very much about it but it is happening and what's interesting is the amount of times people go oh you know i've got a cough i've got a cold but they don't actually say they have covid and and we, we have some very old testing kits, most of us, but we don't know if they work anymore on that variant. We don't know how effective they are. So no one is really addressing the question. And 
I'm just saying in my column, I think the government should be, I mean, they need to be looking at these figures and working out whether we do need to do a bit more. And also, I'd quite like to be able to have the choice of whether I wanted to have a booster jab. Yeah, I thought it was, it's only 60 or 65? You have to be 65 or you have to be pregnant or you have to be working in a care home. Um, So there's quite a lot. And I think there are probably ways around it. But But the same way that if you want to, you can get a flu jab. Yeah, I mean, so it's not, I'm not saying everyone should have it, and loads of people really disagree with it, and a lot of people, I think, you know, a lot of my friends don't want any more boosters yeah. and didn't have the last one. But I think there should be an option to have it if you want it, and they're only 10 quid, so it's not like a vast amount of money for people to have one. It's not, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to be incredibly expensive, and actually, in the long term, if you get long COVID, it's going to cost the government a lot more. Mm. Well, Simon's been in touch. There's the comeback of COVID, did I just hear? Yep, I tested positive yesterday. I'm currently in bed, feeling as if I have awful flu, aches and pains as well as cold symptoms. But at least I have your company to keep me in reasonably good cheer by talking about <laughs> the comeback <laughs> of COVID. Uh, what do you think of it, Robert? Should we be talking about it more? Uh, yeah, we should. I mean, I'm surprised uh, uh, that Alice said that some of the tests don't work because I've, uh, I mean, I'm surprised and interested because I've heard lots of people saying, oh, there's going, something going round. You know, lots of people ill over Christmas and with a, what's just sounded suspiciously like COVID, but saying they were testing negative. Now, either they're not bothering to, they, they, either that's not true, they weren't testing, or they, or maybe they're, uh, the tests are uh, not effective for the, for the new, uh, for the new variant. Uh, it's gonna, I mean, it feels a lot like last time when we sort of wished it wasn't happening, didn't we, for, 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 chunk, for a lot of February and March, and then eventually lockdowns do late, but, which is the consensus now. And people just sort of, they, they don't want it to be true. So they're pretending it isn't true. I can't, and, I, and I'm, I'm thinking that maybe people wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily tolerate another lockdown now in a way that they, we, we did two years ago. Yeah, I don't think they would at all now, I think. But I do no, think they I, should have the option to try and, you know, if they, they want to take, you know, wear a mask or have a boost, they just need all the information. I think that's what you yeah. want, is you want enough information to make your own decision, which we should have had last time around with the lockdowns. But and it, other yeah. countries did when they let, you know, they, as an adult, you should be able to make a decision whether you think you should be going out. How well, the you point that you make in your column as well is that if, if more people, you know, if you said you paid £10 like you do for your mm-hmm. flu jab, uh, have a COVID jab, it, mean, it would mean fewer people got ill, it would push less pressure on the NHS. Yeah. It's not just a sort of nice, airy-fairy thing to do. No, so the long COVID is the real the issue. long COVID so, is a big I mean, issue. You're less yeah. likely to get it now because we've got more immunity. But actually, and you're, and, you know, when Derek Draper, you know, that was, it was awful what he got and a lot of people mm. did die then. But now you'll, you'll have more immunity, but you could get long COVID. And long COVID is partly what's causing, you know, this sort of, you know, invalidity benefit rise and people not being at work because they're still ill from having got it. And that's why I don't want to get it again. I'd prefer to have a booster than, you know, the idea yeah, of I mean, getting I was, long COVID. I was, I was surprised back in the autumn when I, I just assumed that there would be a programme for boosters for people my age. I'm 59. I was surprised that you had to be 65 or have the underlying conditions uh, and, that you, and that you weren't able to pay for it. Um, uh, privately, I was yeah. surprised by that because I would obviously I was obviously sort of, I was just assuming that there would be uh, a booster program and that I would qualify. <laughs> when that, that, uh, obviously, and I would have it if, if I could for a tenner. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, which brings us on to the question of age. Although I do so with some trepidation because this is what happened the last time we talked about politicians and age. It must be the first time you've had a prime minister younger than you. Isn't no, it? no. Uh, oh, it's the first time no. I have. Cameron's uh, Churchill was. Cam- <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. I apologise. Cameron. I apologise for potty mouth Robert. 
Uh, so that's what happened. Cameron, Cameron, was, Cameron was a couple of years under <laughs> <under> me. <laughs> yeah, the last time we me. had this conversation, you told me to F off on air. So I with, did, yeah. yeah. With, with some trepidation, uh, the Prime Minister, the new Prime Minister in France is just 34 making yeah. the youngest Prime Minister in modern French history. Now, obviously, he's not been elected in the same way as, you know, Prime Ministers in the UK, because he's appointed by the, uh, by the President Emmanuel Macron. Well, in the way the Prime Ministers used to be elected in the UK. You yes, exactly. Um, but, yeah. uh, but then he's, he's less than half the age of Joe Biden. So is, 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 there a sweet, is there a good age, a bad age, Robert, to be, to be running a country? Uh, I don't think the age matters. Well, I mean, your health matters uh, at, the, at the top end of the spectrum. And I think uh, uh, Joe Biden's health uh, doesn't look great. To me, I think it's a, it's a, it's a rather sad uh, unfolding story that we're seeing there. Uh, at the younger at the younger end, I think yeah, you probably thirty four probably is a bit young actually. I think you need to maybe gained a little bit more life experience than maybe this chap's had a very full life. But then you know we had Pitt the younger, as the name suggests. He was he was prime minister at twenty four, wasn't he? I think. Uh, he did okay. But then he, he then died at 44 with uh, yeah, having spent, having out. drunk three so, bottles yeah. of port a day. So he swings around about. Yeah. yeah, too much life experience. <laughs> what do you think, Alice? What's the right age to run a country? Well, I think actually the fact that Gabrielle Hotel and Macron, that, that between them, they're both younger yeah. than Biden when you add their ages up together, I think is interesting. But I'm more interested in the fact that you've got a gay prime minister in France for the first time. And I think that that is for the continent is quite a lot. And it's quite would be interesting in Britain too. I mean, it is a first. And I think... In that way, uh, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated how that plays out and what people think of that. And we keep talking about him being openly gay, as if there've been lots of sort of cosmic gays. But yeah. um, I find I, th- I think that 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 will be interesting going forward, and um, why they did and actually, it. In it's if you look at British politics, the current cabinet doesn't have any. No, we were just discussing openly, before. I mean, they they openly don't have gay, openly gay. Uh, uh, <laughs> haven't done, and actually since. So David Mundell uh, left the cabinet in 2019 when um, uh, Boris Johnson took over. Um, in the last, uh, since 2010, there's only been David Laws, Justin, uh, Justin Green and, and David Mundell. It sort, of, it sort of struck me that, you know, politics moved on and it wasn't a big deal anymore, but actually uh, it is still quite unusual yeah. to reach the very top of politics. I think it's quite weird, but also if you look at the shadow cabinet, they have got quite a lot of gay uh, mm. shadow cabinet ministers. And I think that is interesting. And I think... You know, for the younger generation, it does feel odd that it is so mm. skewed in one direction, the cabinet, and it is so sort of orthodoxly heterosexual. When, when, when it's, it's more racially diverse mm. than, than we've seen in, in cabinets for a long time. Yeah, it's, it sort of seems, it feels a bit like we've, you know, focused on one front and gone backwards on the other. Yeah, it's, you're it's, trying it's to choose the best people, but it does seem yeah. odd that you don't have anyone. And, you know, if you look at the statistics, that is quite an anomaly. Yeah. On the other hand, it is a very small sample size. You're talking about 25 people. And so variations of, you know, one or two people can make a big potential Yeah, difference. yeah, yeah. In so occasionally you're going to get periods when, I don't know, if you, if you, I don't know what population, of the, of the, what the percentage of the population is gay. It's sort of, you hear sort of 5, 10%, whatever. Yeah. So it, would, it, would, it wouldn't be a huge anomaly to have uh, no gay, openly gay people out of 25. Yeah. But I suppose it's interesting uh, that there were six during the 13 years of Labour government and there's been three since 2010. It's just... It's just an observation. Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. Not, I'm not in any way saying that there should be sort of quotas or you know. Um, but it's just a, it's just an interesting observation. Now, Robert, you've been writing about why you've stopped eating bread. Yeah, well, I lost a lot of weight recently over the last eighteen months, and uh, people always they want to know the, the the kind of secret to it. 
uh, and it's basically to, you know, in the time on the phrase, eat less and move around more. But if, but then when people really press me, uh, I say the one, one, if there is a magic bullet, the one thing I have done really is that I haven't stopped eating bread, but I've, I've stopped eating it as a staple food. I now treat it as a luxury. Uh, so I eat bread in the way that I would eat a biscuit or cake, as in, as in not very often. Uh, because it's delicious, uh, but I, it's not something that I think we, we, I was anyway, eating too much of it. And that, I think, has made a big difference. Well, let's bring in the nutritionist, Ian Marber, who's not wholly convinced by all this. Hi, Ian. Hello. Should we give up bread? Um, if you want to, absolutely. I mean, just just as a, a staple food, it's a decent source of fiber. Uh, it's a decent source of uh, minerals, B vitamins. I mean, there are other sources of those of those nutrients as well. But um, I think Robert giving up bread was very interesting because if you give up something you eat too much of, then of course you're going to be losing weight simply because mm. you're cutting your calories. But the idea that, um, uh, I mean, you could choose any food that you have a lot of and eat less of it. Bread is, is good value for the most part. It's a, a staple and you know, it, it's very useful as a, a source of nutrients. But I mean, the short answer is, as Robert said, you eat less, move more. Um, that is the only way to lose weight. How you do that is individual and up to everybody for whatever works for them. Where do you stand on bread, Alice? Oh, well, my problem is actually with bread is it's just easy, isn't it? So mm. actually it's easier to have a sandwich than to bring in your Tupperware. So that's why I end up having bread. Otherwise, I don't actually like it. So weirdly, I'm the opposite of Rob. I don't particularly like it, but I end up having it because I can't be bothered to actually go and find something to oh, eat. Oh, I love it. Do you? Lovely big you love. like bread, Matt? Piece yeah. of toast, yeah. I mean, I, I, or, do I, like, or do you like what you put on bread? Because that's the other thing. When you give up bread, you pretty much give up butter as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you see, I, I like do butter. also love butter. And cheese. Yeah. Cheese. Yeah, it's also, come... also about the quality of bread. Oh, go on, Ian. So, what yeah. difference does it make? Should we be eating no, posh loads? It's also about the quality of bread. Yeah. So, for instance, I mean, your, your, your regular sandwich, um, it's not, unless it's made to order, it, it's going to be sitting around for a little while. So, the bread tends to be quite soggy. If you have a delicious piece of rye bread that you toast and you've got something on it you really like, that's a very different experience to eating a piece of bread that's been sitting in a, a refrigerated cabinet for a few hours. And so, you know, it is, it's a question of quality as well. And also your personal enjoyment. If you happen to love bread, but you like good bread, then don't cut it out. But if you find that the supermarket sandwiches are just disappointing, then it seems pointless to eat it because, you know, someone in their mid-50s is going to have 35, 40,000 more meals. It would make an awful lot of sense to try and enjoy those as much as possible. <laughs> oh, God, imagine starting to count how many meals you've got left. What a terrifying prospect. I mean, I've basically done, I think I've basically done, like, Robert, I don't really eat it during the week, but I do like buying a posh loaf at the weekend and just, you know, making some sandwiches, but then having a little bit well, of the yeah, end. That's what I'm saying, really. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I think it's just... Oh, good consensus. A, consensus has broken out. Than a, than a, than a yeah, but I like cheap bread, actually. I quite like that white sliced bread I mean, I with Marmite like on well. it. Robert Cramps and Alice Thompson, of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription at thetimes.co.uk. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order, PMQ's Unpacked. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, that's the uh, all-new jingle, thanks to four-year-old Cordelia and big fan of the show. Tim Shipman's here. How are you? I'm very well. I'm Happy good. New Year. Yes. Well, here we are, ready to be gripped by a, a titanic battle for the premiership that will run for most of the year. For most of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you think might come up today? Oh, I think parish officers might come up, mightn't it, Matthew? I mean, this is a classic occasion where, you know, the Prime Minister um, can probably take a bit of sting from the... Starmer's opening sallies by uh, uh, having something meaningful to say um, on uh, that issue. Um, otherwise, I think they'll both want to frame their big sort of election arguments, which we've seen them wheeling out at, um, you know, a whole series of um, mind-numbingly exciting events um, over the last week. Um, town hall meetings and speeches and here we are. Here we are. A big election No election till November, I'm told, but good Lord... They're at it already. <laughs> Not uh, another one. <laughs> they really are at it already. So, uh, lots of people already lo- watching along on the YouTube channel. Hello from uh, Holtzkirchen in Bavaria. Uh, I think that's the first time we've had a Bavarian viewer. Uh, Stephen is in Taunton. Uh, Gareth is in Swansea. Good morning from Australia, says Daffid. Or good night, he says. Uh, Richard is in Fleet. Uh, loads and loads and loads of people on the YouTube channel. Get along uh, and watch Long Live. It's going to be a big one, uh, this. Uh, we uh, we normally would kick off with uh, Keir Starmer and uh, his first question, but uh, the issue of uh, post offices has already come up. So we go uh, live to the comments now see what Richard Sunak's been saying. Mr Speaker... Mr Speaker, this is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our nation's history. People who worked hard to serve their communities had their lives and their reputations destroyed through absolutely no fault of their own. The victims must get justice and compensation. Sir Wynne Williams' inquiry is undertaking crucial work to to expose what went wrong, and we've paid almost £150 million in compensation to over 2,500 victims. Uh, But today I can announce that we will introduce new primary legislation to make sure that those convicted as a result of the Horizon scandal, are swiftly exonerated and compensated. We will also introduce a new upfront payment of £75,000 for the vital GLO group of postmasters. And can I thank my honourable friend, the member for Thurscombe Moulton, for all his hard work on this issue. He will set out more details to the House shortly. We will make sure that the truth comes to light, we right the wrongs of the past, and the victims get the justice they deserve. So there we have it, Rishi Sunak's uh, big announcement uh, on the government's reaction to the Mr Bates versus uh, the post office drama uh, that unfolded last week. They will bring forward primary legislation uh, to exonerate uh, swiftly, he said, uh, those convicted and an upfront payment of £75,000 for uh, the GLO group, which I think is one of the groups. There are three different groups uh, pursuing compensation and the GLO group is one of them. This is quite a big moment, Tim, for Parliament to act to, uh, in quite a big group, reverse the rulings of court. This is pretty unprecedented. 
as far as I'm aware, it's fairly unprecedented. Um, and in a sense, it's sort of what Sunak's been trying to do on Rwanda, which is say, we didn't like the court ruling, so we're going to change it in, in Parliament. And it's a good example of how, you know, the British Constitution actually works, which is that Parliament is sovereign, ultimately, um, and can tell the courts what to do. Things don't work quite the same way in the United States. Um, so it's... You know, it's a big one. There's not a lot of detail there. Um, as ever, the devil is hidden therein. Um, we don't know how quickly, we don't know how much compensation. Does this cover everybody? There's some suggestion that um, there may be a handful of people who were actually <laughs> fraudulent. Um, and they're trying not to sort of get them mixed up in the same uh, thing. But um, it's obviously um, been... Uh, you know, it's good news on what has become a you know major issue of public moment. I think somewhat to the surprise of us, who've, that some of us have been uh, sort of following this for quite some time now. Um, you know, and the Prime Minister saying it's one of the greatest miscarriages of justice, you know, ever in Britain. Um, it's does slightly beg the question why it's taken quite so long to get to this point. Um, and you know, uh, it's one of those scandals that. I think, was it Danny Finkelstein wrote quite an intelligent column about this thing? Yeah. It didn't really trigger kind of the left weren't particularly outraged for any reason, the right weren't particularly outraged for, for some ideological reason. You know, it didn't talk. Politics kind of works and people get furious when their existing prejudices about how things operate mm. um, are kind of triggered. And, I, you know, he wrote quite a clever piece that sort of said, in this case, it it didn't really trigger anybody. Yeah. And as a consequence, it's sort of been allowed to fester and it's quite a good example of um, how um, people ought to pay a bit more attention to the detail in government than yeah. worrying just and about whether the, the media are getting excited. There's been a lot of people say, well, it's the media, the media, media. But, but people in government, whose job it was to know this stuff, knows that it's been a miscarriage of justice for a long time. They do. And, you know, frankly, we wouldn't be here without the media because, um, you know, newspapers, particularly the Times, have written endlessly about this, yeah. you know. But it was only when you know, a book gets written and it then appears on television. Everyone yeah. seems to finally get and excited. Fact, I, I didn't realise this, but the uh, the drama came about after Katie Glass wrote uh, a piece, I think it was in the Sunday in the Times, Sunday Times yeah. magazine, and she was then contacted by the producer, and it's set in train then, and then Nick Wallace got on board, who's written for the private eye and the bit in the book. So that's you know, and it's certainly the case that the media perhaps, you know, was not didn't regard this as a sexy a subject as yeah, yeah. Um, it now appears to be. But, you know, the fault really lies with, with ministers who've... Um, as you say, they've known for a long time that this is a botched job. And, you know, for a long time, it was all about cover-up. I actually than... remember who was the Prime Minister at the time when, when the, uh, the, the, the the courts overturned that, that small group of convictions. But they, somebody could have stood up at that point and said, we're going to speed up compensation and reverse them. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Because uh, the interesting question here is, does uh, Keir Starmer follow up with questions on the post office? Or does he choose to say, well, you know, you've done the right thing on that and we're going to talk about something else. So let's go to the House of Commons House. Question number one from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I heard what the Prime Minister just said about the post office scandal. It is a huge injustice. People lost their lives, their liberty and their livelihood. And they've been waiting far too long for the truth, for justice and for compensation. So I'm glad the Prime Minister is putting forward a proposal. We will look at the details and I think it's the job of all of us to make sure that it delivers the justice that is so needed. Mr Speaker, back in 2022, when Boris Johnson claimed he would send asylum seekers to Rwanda, one ambitious Tory MP had reservations. He agreed with Labour that it wouldn't work. It was a waste of money. It was the latest in a long line of gimmicks. Does the Prime Minister know what happened to that MP? 
Mr. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. What that gentleman, honourable gentleman, refers to is a document that he hasn't seen, I haven't seen, and has been reported second-hand in a bunch of media newspapers. But what I can tell him, what I can tell him is, I am absolutely clear that you do need to stop the boats, and that's what this government and that MP is going to deliver. Right, so <laughs> Keir Starmer taking the view uh, that the post office is the post office. He said what he needs to say about it, but there, were, there is a more fruitful line of political inquiry. What a surprise. Not least with the Rwanda bill uh, back in the Commons next week and uh, Tory MPs and the right of the party lining up to uh, say that they're not uh, happy <laughs> with it. Um, for the avoidance of doubt, if you haven't been following this story closely over the weekend, uh, the BBC got hold of some papers which uh, suggested that uh, Rishi Sunak had significant doubts about sending migrants to Rwanda when he was Chancellor. Uh, they suggested he wanted to scale back Number 10's original plans. Uh, he wasn't sure if they'd stop channel crossings. Uh, and um, uh, obviously since then, he's made it one of his uh, top priorities. Quite a funny way into it from Keir Starmer. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, yeah. Is he now going to reveal to the Prime Minister his own identity at the start of question two? Yes, no, it's fine. And it's a perfectly, you know, sensible uh, line of attack. Um, I thought the PM's answer was sort of quite sort of interestingly dismissive there. He, you know, he took quite a while to start talking. He was a little bit wrong-footed, didn't quite know which direction to go. And then we get a bunch of media newspapers. Oh, the wicked media. Well, firstly, as you rightly point out, it was firstly on the BBC, um, uh, not a bunch of media newspapers. I'm not quite sure what uh, non-media newspapers would look like. Um, <laughs> the ones done by But the PM does find sort of questions. He finds questions from the media. He finds questions from uh, this Starmer chap. Really quite sort of irritating to his general well-being. Um, and that's coming across already, which is, you know, you're not normally a bit sort of hissy-fitty in question I one. Mean, crucially, in that answer, was not a denial of the central no. charge that when he was Chancellor, he thought that the Rwanda policy was a daft idea. Well, I mean, it's his job as Chancellor to say we need value for money and it must work. Um, maybe he did think it was a daft idea. Um a lot of people share that view, of course. Um, but, you know, the, the way politics works, you inherit the policy as Prime Minister and, frankly, you've got to make it work. Otherwise, um, you're in a world of pain with a certain section of voters yeah. and with your own party. Um, so, Rishi Sunak, might, it's one of those areas, again, where just a little bit of sort of candour about these yeah, things yeah. might actually take him a long way. But instead, oh, I've never seen this document. Oh, right. But okay. also, if he'd said, if you said, yes, I did raise questions about value for money, uh, those questions were answered. Now I think it's a great idea and that's why I'm playing on with it. That's another way you could answer that. It's slightly better than saying, it was basically not a denial to say, this is something in the papers, you've not seen it, I've not seen it, and then we're not going to talk about something else. Anyway, uh, let's go back to the House of Commons then, because clearly uh, Keir Starmer has decided that Rwanda is the way to go today. It's question number two from Keir Starmer. I, I notice he didn't deny it, yeah. Mr Speaker. I'm not surprised. £400 million of taxpayer money down the drain. No one sent to Rwanda. Small boats still coming. It's hardly a surprise. He wanted to scrap the scheme when he was trying to sneak in as Tory leader. But he's been caught red-handed opposing the very thing that he's now made his flagship policy. Which member should we listen to? The one before us today, or the one who used to believe in something? Yeah. <laughs> Mr Speaker. Tory MP is enjoying that. 
given the... Yeah, and it's an opening for Slim. Let's see how he responds. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I've always been crystal clear. You do need to have an effective deterrence to finally solve this problem. In fact, the National Crime Agency agree that you need, in their words, an effective removals and deterrence agreement. And that's why, after becoming Prime Minister, I negotiated a new deal with Albania, thanks to which we have seen a 93% drop in illegal arrivals from Albania. That's how Australia stopped the boats. That's why Italy, Germany and Austria are all looking at similar schemes. He's the only one who's opposed to a proper deterrent. Not because it doesn't work, because he doesn't actually believe in controlling migration, Mr Speaker. Every single time he picks the people smugglers over the British people. Wow. Uh, well, I just want to point out, if you're not watching along on the YouTube channel, Oliver Dowden uh, enjoyed uh, the um, prospect of Keir Starmer accusing someone else of not believing anything. So much. He, his face went the same colour as Michelle Dolan's bright red jacket. Uh, well, indeed. But interesting, because there were two ways Sunak could have answered that question. The reason Tory MPs were jeering is because they don't think Starmer does believe in anything. They think he um, says what he needs to say to get elected. And one of the Tory lines of attack on Starmer this year will be that we don't really know what he's going to do because um, uh, he's not levelling with the electorate and he keeps changing his mind. The other line of attack is that he's actually secretly a wicked lefty who's going to throw open the, the doors. And that's the route that, that Sunak went down there, saying, you know, he, he does believe in something. He believes in not controlling migration. Um, so, uh, you know, um, he could have picked either one of those. Um, and perhaps that was the easier course of action um, off, off the hoof for the Prime Minister. But if he could have put together a big answer about all the things where Starmer's changed his mind and appears not to believe in anything, I think he would have had an even bigger sort of uh, success there. But it goes back to the, the, the fact that Tories can't quite work out what their central charge against uh, exactly it the, and it was the same problem um the tories had before blair arrived they couldn't decide whether he was a secret lefty or whether he was just bambi who didn't believe in anything um and they've got the same problem uh, now with starmer um now some of those um questions are legitimate and i hear them from voters in focus groups and in people in my own life who say we don't we still don't really know what he's going to do mm. um but um you know, Labour are calculating they don't need to put a huge amount of flesh on those bones just to say, well, it'll be better than this lot. Um, and in fact, we've got a focus group uh, tomorrow on the show. We recorded it last night, and you're completely right. It was absolutely diabolical for the Tories, but the idea... That, you know, we still had people saying they were going to vote Labour, but they don't know anything about... They couldn't sum up Keir Starmer in a word because they didn't know enough about him. No, and the challenge for Labour is that Labour can't sum up Keir Starmer in a word yeah, yeah. either. Right, <laughs> right. let's see if Keir Starmer can sum himself up in a handful of words. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. Question number three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, we should smash the gangs, process the claims and end hotel use. That's our plan. And unlike the Prime Minister, I believe in it. But, I'm going to hear the questions. Nope. I don't want to interrupt. Common speaker please. Lindsay It's Hoyle. very important. It's a very important topic. Ticking off. And I have checked Tory MP sitting just to his right. Mr. Speaker, last year he started the year saying he was Mr. Steady. Then at his conference he was Mr. Change. Now he's flipped back to Mr. More of the same. It doesn't matter how many relaunches, flip flops he does, he'll always be Mr. Nobody. And here's the tragedy of his leadership. 
He spends the whole time trying to convince people not to believe their own eyes, yes. pretending that debt is falling, yeah. that the economy is going gangbusters, the NHS is in great shape. When he finally finds something he was right about, the Rwanda gimmick, he can't even take credit for it. When's he going to stop pretending that up is down, that black is white, admit that whether it's the economy, immigration, the NHS, he has failed? Uh, before we come to Rishi Sunak's uh, response, I do, if I was the Tories, I'd clip up Keir Starmer there saying the economy's going gangbusters, the NHS is in great shape. I can't remember what the other one was. It would just be quite funny if he did that. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Uh, this is Rishi Sunak's answer. Speaker, well, let's just go through his checklist. He talks about the backlog, 112,000 decisions made last year, a higher number than in any year in the past two decades, Mr Speaker. He talked about hotels. Well, the first 50 are being closed and there are more to come, Mr Speaker. He talks about the numbers. Well, they were down by over a third last year, Mr Speaker, the first time that's happened. And then he talked, Mr Speaker, he talked about smashing the gangs. Well, if he does care about smashing the gangs, why doesn't he own up to the fact that when it came to the Nationality and Borders Act, he blocked, delayed and voted against the powers in that act, which have allowed us to now arrest hundreds and hundreds of people connected with that illegal trade who have been sentenced to hundreds of years in prison. He opposed that because he chooses the criminal gangs over the British people every time. I mean, we are getting, as you predicted, Tim, a sort of shape of the political attacks uh, from the two sides. So, Starmer's straight in with, you've twisted and turned and changed um, what you're trying to present to the country. And your basic argument, Rishi Sunak, is that everything's fine and it's not, and the people out there know it's not. You're saying black is white. That's that's the Starmer kind of assault. And the Sunak defence is um, all the things you claim you're going to do, we're already doing, have already done, and... Frankly, you know, you don't really know what you're talking about on that front. And a lot of Tories do find the, the Labour plan on uh, on illegal immigration sort of slightly laughable. You know, the idea that he's going to come in and um, set up a, a sort of new unit in the NCA that's going to tackle the gap. There already is a unit in the NCA and they say we've done all this and we've done the upstream work with the other countries. And Starmer is a bit naive about thinking that that's, a, that's all going to work. But then he hits him with this... You back the criminal gangs. Now, if you've, anyone who's been uh, looking at some of the uh, tabloid newspapers over the last week will have seen a lot of attacks on Starmer working pro bono for killers on death row um, as part of his campaign against the death penalty. But that is then depicted um, by The Sun and others um, with some help, I suspect, from a, the Conservative Research Department um, uh, to sort of say, this guy supports wrongans and... Um, you're going to hear a lot more of that, and Sunak's not pulling his punches there. Uh, whether we get onto any of that material or not in one of his answers, yeah. I don't know. Um, I suspect the Tories will be too cute to sort of claim ownership of something that yeah, at the moment the, looks like... Dirty this. Work. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's very much the theme. You can't trust this fella because ultimately he's a do-gooding liberal who puts the rights of killers, paedophiles and, and, and uh, illegal migrants ahead of you and your family. 
and and that that then becomes the shape of the uh, the election campaign as we as we see. This is PMQ's Unpacked. It's Matt Jolly with Tim Shipman in the studio. We're pausing the action live from the House of Commons as we always do. Uh, if you missed the beginning, just to uh, bring you up to date on uh, what Richard Sinek had to say about the Horizon scandal, the post office scandal, which has just caught the the public attention uh, since that ITV drama Mr Bates versus the Post Office aired last week. Uh, the Prime Minister announced that the government will now introduce legislation to ensure those convicted as a result of the scandal are swiftly exonerated and compensated. Uh, So primary legislation will be brought into uh, the House of Commons, uh, which will overturn the convictions. Uh, We we think from what we've heard so far, all of those are convicted uh, as a result of the Horizon uh, IT software. Um, There's also this group, the Group Litigation Order Group of Sub-Postmasters, the so-called GLO group. Uh, They will get a new upfront payment of £75,000 in compensation. Uh, I think that's while, uh, while other details of compensation will be uh, looked at in more detail because obviously they're looking at some cases how much uh, they were wrongly told to take, pay back or how much they were wrongly forced to spend on legal action. Um, so that, those are the details. Rishi Sinak announcing uh, the, the legislation will be brought forward so they are swiftly exonerated and compensated. We'll get more details on that from the Post Office Minister in a statement after 12.30. And I think we've got, uh, we're have got going to hear from a sub-postmaster, two sub-postmasters uh, within the hour uh, to get their reaction to that. But let's go back to the House of Commons then. This is question number four from Keir Starmer. I don't think we are. Keir Starmer. Or indeed, uh, Lindsay Speaker, we can all see what's happened here. Just like he knows that debt isn't falling and taxes are going up, he knows the Rwanda gimmick won't work. But he can't be honest about it because he's too scared of his own MPs. Doesn't he wish he'd stuck to his guns rather than to allow himself to be taken hostage by his own party? Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, we're, we're debating this because we have taken a stand and we're delivering the toughest migration plan ever to end the legal challenges and actually get flights off the ground. And let's be clear about this. He doesn't have a single, single practical idea about how to stop the boats. But that's because he doesn't actually care about controlling migration. This is a person who described all immigration law as racist, Mr Speaker. He thinks limits on economic migration are, in his words, economic vandalism. It didn't even feature once in his five missions, and he didn't mention it once in his conference speech. The truth is... He's pro-free movement, he's anti-border control, and he can never be trusted to stop the boat. Yeah! I'm slightly been same, uh, going around the same... Uh, well, it wasn't boring. much of a question, and it wasn't much of an answer, I think, ultimately. I mean, you know, have you been taken hostage? Are you aware you've been taken hostage by your own party? Oh, yes, I have. Thank you for pointing it out. Well, you know, I did um, think, even question three from uh, the, uh, you know, he was Mr. Cha- no, he was Mr. Continuity, Mr. Change, Mr. Whatever it was, now he's Mr. Nobody. That felt like question six from Keir Starmer, not number three. So I wonder how much it's more... It's going to be a long year, Matthew, is all I can say. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it... it, it this is an issue that both sides think works for them, interestingly. You know, Labour think this is evidence of Tory incompetence um, and uh, uh, Tory fanaticism, and the Tories regard it as something where Labour is ideologically unsound, and um, it reveals a sort of uh, lack of honesty uh, about how you actually get to grips with this stuff. Um, so they're both happy to parrot their lines um, while our ears gently bleed. Uh, somebody's posted on the YouTube channel, what did one flip-flop say to the other flip-flop? You're a flip-flop. 
uh, which is, sh- sums up a large part of um, what, it sums it up, and it's about the level of humour that we've heard today as well. Eight seven double two. Start measure the word times. You want to text us uh, or post post a comment on the U Times Radio YouTube channel. We can watch along live, so you can see see the action. You can see Tim and I, and you can see um, what's going on in the House of Commons. Just how how red in the face is Oliver Dowden going? Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. Question number five. I think we should smash the gangs. And I spent five years of my life, five years of my life doing exactly This is the party that's lost control of the borders. And whilst he's tending to the Tory party, the country is left without government. A collapse in dentistry, leaving people literally pulling out their own teeth. Flood defences completely exposed. Hundreds of thousands of children still out of school. His government appears blissfully uninterested in what's going on outside the walls of Westminster. Does he realise how ludicrous it looks when he spends his time boasting whilst Britain is breaking? Mr Mr. Speaker, I'm I'm glad he brought up our schools because there's nothing more important than ensuring our children get a world-class education and that's why I'm pleased that in spite of Labour opposing every reform that we made, our children are now the best readers in the Western world, Mr Speaker. But he's right that attendance is important and that's why we're investing millions of pounds more to provide support for absent pupils. We launched a national campaign and just this week we've doubled the number of attendance hubs to support over a thousand at the most vulnerable schools. But I am surprised to hear him raise that topic because from longer lockdowns or voting against our minimum service laws, his priority has always been keeping our children out of school, Mr Speaker. It's always the same with him. There's no plan. It's just peddling one thing to his union friends and another thing to the British people. Oh, the union's got to... Oh, I'm not sure. We've not had no that mention of paymasters. Oh, union, though, pay, union I, think, I think you need. I think you need paymasters. Okay, fine, I'll take it back. I'll take my bell back. To bong. Um... Kids, again, that felt like a like a sort of question six roundup. But yeah, they having, both were having yeah. done, but having not done what you would do, which is a question on Rwanda, a question on dentists, a question on floods, yep. questions on children out of school. It all feels a bit disjointed and odd. Yeah, I mean, he's still trying to make this broad argument that everything's a shambles and the government's to blame. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, it's it was sort of. Odd, really. I mean, and then reels out the line that sort of to try and capture all of that boasting while Britain is breaking. We under, I can see what he's trying to do yeah. there, and I applaud the alliterative bees <laughs> and the fact that that is at least a pithy way of trying yeah. to. But it's not good enough, though. No. It's a C plus effort at um, at that thought. I think they, so they, they, need, they need, a need bit to longer in front of the flip chart. They need to have another go at that. But I, you know, it politically, I can see how that might work. Mm. And then Sunak sort of missed a slight opening on on the way back, where Starmer did boast about I spent five years of my life smashing the gangs. Well, that could have been a moment where Sunak then said, "Well, while we're talking about your, your five records. years, yeah, mate." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, being a prosecutor, that could have been a way of, of getting into all the stuff we were talking about uh, before. Um, instead, he latches on to education, which we know is a Sunak interest, um, but I don't think anything much that he said in response really was notable, apart from that we're again back to still trying to pin lockdown on the Labour Party mm-hmm. and... Um, when he starts talking about minimum service levels, we're back into sort of unions and strikes. Yeah. So 
I'm pretty sure we've seen almost every possible conceivable grabbing at anything line, of, line, of, line of, attack. of attack from both sides. But this is not a particularly coherent um, sort of set of questions from Starmer, and there's nothing yet that Sunak has done in response that because will leave one, the Tories thinking, oh, well, that was all right. Because one strategy, uh, which you can prove quite successfully at PMQs, is you ask six questions on six different topics. Yep. So you ask a question on Rwanda, and then uh, you let Rishi Sunak answer on that. And then you ask a question about floods. But then Rishi Sunak is still trying to come back on Rwanda. And then you move on and talk about schools. But he's still trying to say, well, actually, no, but on the floods point, blah, 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 and he gets the right medal. And then you tie, put, put it all together and tie a bow around it. Look, say, nothing's working. And he hasn't really done that. He's, um, yeah. Anyway, let's see, let's see what he does with the Britain's last It's not question. working, Prime Minister. Uh, it's hurting. Oh. What do you think? That's less good than boasting, boasting well, while Britain is breaking. breaking. Okay. Uh, stop. See, that's why I'm. Stop the boasts. Stop the boasts. It, no. Does that work? Stop the boats and. Yeah. Stop the boats. Stop the boats. Stop this, says producer Erwin. Right, fine. <laughs> uh, we'll go back to the House of Commons then. This is uh, the final question number six from Keir Starmer. New year, new nonsense. Every week, he stands here and tells the country they should be thanking him, wow. not questioning him. Fair enough. Point out that the view on the ground is very different to that from his private jet, and he says, you're talking the country down. He just doesn't get it. He doesn't get what a cost of living crisis feels like. He doesn't know any schools where kids no longer turn up. And he doesn't understand what it's like to wait for a hospital appointment. Doesn't the country deserve so much better than a Prime Minister who simply doesn't get Britain? Mr Mr. Speaker, well, from the last week, we had, I say, yet another half-hour speech from the Honourable Gentleman. And what a surprise, yet again, it didn't contain a single new idea. We've had four years of him as Labour leader, and it's still all slogan, no plan, Mr Speaker. Now, just this weekend, Mr Speaker... Just this weekend, we're delivering on our plan to cut people's taxes, Mr Speaker. He doesn't have a plan. We've got a plan to stop the boats. He doesn't have a plan. And we've got a plan to get people off welfare and into work. He doesn't have a single idea. It's crystal clear, Mr Speaker. Stick with us to deliver the long-term change that the country needs. Don't go back to square one with him. I wasn't sure New Year, New Nonsense, whether that was aimed at the Prime Minister or us. Well, it feels a bit like the whole enterprise um, is neatly summed up. Um, I mean, it was so bad, it was good. Yeah. It was sort of, it was as if Chris Morris had suddenly started, um, uh, you know, writing for PMQs. Um, I mean, that, that was by far the best question and answer, yeah. though, and that, you know, summing up everything. You know, Sunak is seen by voters as out of touch, he's too rich, he doesn't get it. And um, I'm not sure simply doesn't get Britain is quite there either. But again, you can see where they're going with that. Um, you know, he doesn't understand what it feels like. All of that, I think, would cut through. Um, but equally, the Sunak response is a pretty decent crystallisation of what they're going to say about Starmer. Um, you know, uh, their Tory big thing is always just have plans. This was always Linton yeah, yeah. Crosby's thing. David Cameron had a long-term economic plan. No one knew what was in it, including David Cameron. But it didn't matter because the public knew that there was a plan. And if Sunak can keep saying, you know, we've got a plan for this, a plan for that, um, and, and Starmer won't tell you what he's up to, um, you know, don't go back to square one with him. I mean, all this rhetoric needs a little bit of work, but you can see, 
you know, where they're going. It's the emergence of the and in the a sort of messaging. You know, if this was the sort of third attempt by the Tories to get re-elected, you could see that Sunak might have half a chance with um, that line of attack. Given that it's the fifth and um, that the public appears to have given up on his party completely, it's going to be more difficult for him. But, um, you know, there is the kernel there on both sides of an effective um, election message. Mm. Um, whether it's going to make any difference for the Tories is, uh, is more of a moot point, really. Lyle Spirit's been watching the backbench exchanges so that we don't have to overall... Yeah, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting, we'll take that. No new nonsense new, here. Yeah, new nonsense. Uh, where are we going first? We are going to Stephen Flynn. Yay! Of course uh, we are. On this question of uh, the Horizon scandal, we're only going to play the first of the two questions. Uh, in the second answer, Sunak says that he finds the politicisation of this from Flynn uh, sad. Uh, but I think take a listen to how he shapes this issue with regard to the specific case against a number of different uh, politicians from a number of different political parties in Westminster. Mr Speaker, a horizon system introduced by Tony Blair, the former Labour Party leader and of course now a Knights Garter, a horizon system defended by the current leader of the Liberal Democrats, himself a Knight Bachelor, a horizon system scandal overseen by a former Conservative Prime Minister who now hides in the House of Lords as a Baron. The reality is that sub-postmasters never stood a chance against the Westminster establishment, yeah. did they? Yeah. 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 Well, Mr Speaker, as I've said, this is actually one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our country's history. And all our thoughts are with those who worked so hard for their communities and have seen their lives and reputations destroyed. And, and since this scandal, as the Honourable Gentleman pointed out, has actually unfolded over decades and with multiple people clearly at fault. But since 2019 in the High Court case, this government established a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams to uncover what went wrong, established an independent advisory board and has established three different compensation schemes paying out £150 million to over 2,500 people, with now almost two-thirds having received final compensation. But we must go further and faster, Mr Speaker, which is why we have made new announcements today. Um, I mean, I can see what Stephen Finch tried to do. It's all the Westminster uh, government's um, uh, fault. But uh, does that work? I don't think as effectively as a lot of his attempts to tie the main parties together. I mean, making a slightly silly point about that they've all been given uh, honours is uh, odd. Though... He might have had a more pertinent point if he'd pointed to the benches around him because Ed Davey, the night bachelor who he was uh, having a pop-up there for the Lib Dems, my understanding is the Lib Dems had a question at PMQs today, but the, the leader of the Liberal Democrats is absent with a person, for personal reasons. Now, there may be good personal reasons. I, my understanding is they are quite good personal reasons. In which case, fine. Fabulous, but I suspect but... a lot of people are thinking those personal yeah. reasons might be that he doesn't want to hear well, anything more be, about yeah. the Horizon scandal. Uh, where else are we going now, Laura? We are going for the not-so-new but new-ish uh, Tory MP Steve Tuckwell in Uxbridge uh, and to this uh, question of new hospitals, which is not something that you hear Conservative oh, MPs. 40 new hospitals. 40 new hospitals, which were then downgraded to 32 new hospitals, which I think currently stand at three new hospitals that have been open. But nonetheless, they are highlighted here, so let's have a listen. In my constituency, the new Hillingdon Hospital has full planning permission has full funding and enabling works is well underway. Yeah. Would my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree with me that this new state-of-the-art hospital will uplift the health benefits for the residents of Uxbridge yeah. and South Ryslip? Yeah. And when he joined me in visiting the project site at a time where his diary allows. Yeah. Yeah. 
My uh, honourable friend has been a fantastic campaigner for the new Hillingdon Hospital and I agree with him that it will provide fantastic care to him and his constituents as well. And I'm pleased that planning permission and funding has now been granted for the site and work is progressing. Uh, I, I will look at my diary, but in the meantime, I can tell him that my honourable friend, the Health Secretary, will be very happy to come and visit my honourable friend's project and see the significant progress for herself. <laughs> you know, I, I might be busy, but uh, someone else could come and have a look. I mean, it is a bit strange if you do get one of them built that you wouldn't go and have a photo op there. Surely that's one of the easiest things to commit to that you could. And, and why wouldn't you? I guess this, I, I hear this a lot from people who try to get the Prime Minister to do anything. Um, <laughs> I'm even told that before the wheeze came up that David Cameron, you know, rejoined the government, that someone tried to get him to go and see Cameron or Cameron to go and see him and, was, and Cameron's people were told, oh, he's a very busy man. <laughs> yeah, he's the Prime Minister. Of course, he's a busy man. But Prime Minister should, there are things Prime Ministers should make time for. And there is this slight sense that Rishi Sunak just sort of, you know, he exists a bit in his own bubble and doesn't like being taken out of it very often. Yeah, go and see the hospital. Read his thoughts. Like you said, it's a win. It's a rare win on the hospital front. On the subject of, uh, we were talking about the PM Connect earlier with um, uh, Fee Glover, and she wasn't sure about the name. Jim says, PM Connect sounds like a slow, dirty replacement bus for a broken down train. <laughs> <laughs> like the afternoon In the service. late afternoon. <laughs> <Yeah. Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else for us, Lana, or was that it? Um, I was told that that was it today. That is it. But why don't so... they call it something interesting? Yeah, Rishi yeah. Unleashed or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, however absurd. Yeah. You know, PM Connect. What should they call it? That's a good idea. We can come up with a name. Uh, text us, 8722, start your message with the word time. Rishi Rome's or something, you yeah. know, I mean, he's, you know, he's coming to your town, you know, yeah. stand by. Try and drum up some excitement. Make I it think, John Major and his soapbox, I you think know. the thing we've established today is we're not that good at slogans, Tim. We're not very good at slogans, <laughs> but... You've um, just realised. We did come up with a good one once. I can't remember what it was. Was it Enough is Enough? And then um, <laughs> Angela Rayner used it a lot at PMQs. Anyway, this is just chatting on the radio now. Lara, uh, what time will you be in people's inboxes with the PMQ's unpacked red box email? 3pm. 3pm. I'm going to write that down. You're very welcome to it. It now features Tom Peck, uh, of course, Times a Sketch Writer, yeah. uh, who contributes to it each week. He's a very good hire, Tom. For you from the gallery. He's been really good this week. Not that he hasn't been good, because you know, Christmas break's obviously done him well. He's a bit naughty. <laughs> no, no, he's just, he's funny, yeah, isn't he? He's, he is proper, he's properly funny, properly because funny. he's... He, some sketch writers get a bit cosy with the world of Westminster. and Thomas, He just really doesn't Tom, get a bug case. He really doesn't. I think everybody gets it. I thought today was brilliant. It was sort of a 90% uh, attacking Bridget Phillipson. It was just a bit of a drive-by of David Cameron at the end. Lovely stuff. <laughs> but well done him. At least he knows what he's doing. Uh, Lara Spirit will be uh, in your inbox with your red box email this afternoon. Uh, and Tim Shipman will be in your Sunday Times at the weekend. That's the plan. So that was PMQ's Unpacked. Let us know what you thought about the key exchanges. You can email me, matt at times.radio. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? 
we wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.